You're listening to the Fellowship on Broadway podcast from First Baptist Nashville. Today we find ourselves in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, here the children of Israel, God's chosen people, have been wandering in the wilderness for 40 years with Moses, their fearless leader. Can you even imagine camping for 40 years? (laughs) Would anyone enjoy that? Anyone? Anyone? I would not. I don't know that I could survive a week. And you remember Moses, their leader, he parted the Red Sea and led his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He brought down the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. He led God's people, the Israelites, through the desert and battled the Ites, the Amorites, the Amalekites, and they won. And now they're on their way to the Promised Land. But due to fear, remember, and lack of faith when they sent in the spies, God sent the Israelites on a not-so-great adventure of a lifetime, 40 years in the wilderness. But now, now that we come to Deuteronomy, the 40 years is almost up. And they find themselves camped on the east side of the Jordan, on the plains of Moab, right across from the city of Jericho. They are on the verge of entering the land that was promised to them centuries ago to Abraham. But before that happens, before they enter into that land, God wants to remind them through his servant Moses of his covenant with them. And this is Deuteronomy. It is the last of the five books of Moses, Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Our Jewish friends would call this the Torah or the Pentateuch. We often call it the books of law, right? And that is what Deuteronomy means. It means second law. It is a retelling or remembering for God's chosen people of what he has done. And Moses uses the words remember or do not forget, at least 25 times in this book. So here we are at the end of 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and Moses gives these series of sermons we find in Deuteronomy for this new generation. He restates God's commands given to Israel some 40-something years ago back in Exodus and Leviticus, so that they know them before they enter into the promised land. We see this in Deuteronomy 6, 1 to 3. These are the commands, decrees, the laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe, and the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you your children and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel and be careful to obey so that it will go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. 
Many of you know that lately I have been working more with our Child Development Center, our weekday preschool, as we've been without a director again. But we've hired someone. Marissa Moore is coming June 10th. So my role with our preschoolers is not only planning the fun things and doing the curriculum planning and encouraging the teachers, I get to lay down the law when toddlers and preschoolers are struggling in their classroom. And so what this usually means with a toddler or preschooler, they get to take a little time out. And then I go over and I bend down and I take their sweet little face Say, look at me, right here, eyes on me, right here. I need you to remember, and I remind them of the rules and expectations for the classroom. I encourage them, I know you can do this. You can, look at me, I know you can do this. (laughs) And then I send them back to their class. And so, here we find Moses being used by God to take the Israelites' little faces and say, look at me, I need you to hear, no, wait, look, eyes on me, pay, pay attention to this, this is important, I need you to hear this. So as we move on in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, take a look at this. For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema, hear, O Israel. The Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Now the first word of the Shema is hear or listen, which in Hebrew is pronounced Shema. That's where the prayer gets its name. Now Shema is a really common word in the Hebrew Bible, and it's obvious why. Hearing is a very universal activity. It's usually connected with the ear, as in Proverbs chapter 20, ears that Shema and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. Now that seems basic enough, but if you look at the other ways that Hebrew authors can use the word Shema, they use it to mean more than just let sound waves enter your ear. In Hebrew, Shema can also mean pay attention to or focus on. So when Leah, who wasn't loved by her husband Jacob, she has a son and she names him Simon, or in Hebrew, Shimon, because she says, the Lord has Shamad, that I am unloved. So Shema means to hear and to pay attention to and even more. It can also mean responding to what you hear. This is why so many of the cries for help in the book of Psalms begin with a call that God listen. Psalm 27 verse 7, Shema my voice when I call, O Lord. Be merciful, answer me. So asking God to Shema is at the same time asking God to act, to do something. It's similar to when God asks people to listen. Like when the people of Israel come to Mount Sinai, God says, if you Shema me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Now there's a couple interesting things about this verse in Exodus. In Hebrew, the word Shema is repeated twice in this sentence to give it emphasis. If you Shema Shema, meaning listen closely. But also notice that from God's point of view, listening is basically the same as keeping the covenant. So when God asks the people to Shema, what he means is that they listen and obey. And that's the last fascinating thing about Shema. In ancient Hebrew, there is no separate word for obey, meaning to carry out the wishes of someone who knows better than you or is in authority over you. So in the Bible, if you want to say, I will listen and do what you say, you use the single word Shema. 
In Hebrew, listening and doing are two sides of the same coin. This is why later in Israel's history, when the people were breaking their covenant promises to God, the Hebrew prophets would say things like, they have ears, but they're not listening. The Israelites, of course, could hear just fine, but they weren't actually listening or else they would act differently. And so in the end, listening in the Bible is about giving respect to the one speaking to you and doing what they say. Real listening takes effort and action, and that's the Hebrew word Shema. Here, if you have your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. And I need to turn the page. <laughs> Sorry, I was like, where is it? Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 to 9. 4 to 9. Hear, or Shema, pay attention, obey, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This sermon, given here by Moses, is known as the Shema. It is the basic confession of faith in Judaism. Even to this day, these ancient words make up their oldest and most important prayers that they pray every morning and every evening. Moses knows if they do not heed God's words, take these truths deep into their being and impart them to the next generation as they go into the promised land, all of this will be lost. So let's look at Deuteronomy 6.4. If you have your Bibles open, I don't know if it's on the screen or not. Nope. If you have your Bibles open, can you tell me what's different in the text with the word Lord, L-O-R-D? How does it look different? It is all capitalized. It is in all caps. This Hebrew name for God translates it's translated here as capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is the name for God most commonly used in the Old Testament. It is used over 6,000 times. However, it is also the most uncommon name in the sense that it is the most sacred of all of his names. So it is not common at all. When you see capital L, O, R-D, this four-letter name of God represents the unspeakable, ineffable, holy name of the eternal, all-sufficient, self-sustaining I Am. And where you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Hebrews' letters are represented in that Y-H-W-H. It's where we see the name Yahweh. The Jewish nation would not even speak this name. It is even said when the Old Testament scribes would get to this word when they were writing the text of Scripture, they would often stop, pick up a pen that had never been used, write this holy name of God, and then pitch the pen and carry on. When reading Scripture aloud, priests, rabbis, 
any Hebrew person, when they pray or read, any Jewish person, when they pray or read Hebrew, they do not speak this name. They simply say Hashem, which in Hebrew means the name. Kind of reminds me of that. I'm going on a tangent. That Harry Potter character, like you don't speak his name, but this is for the other way, for the other reason, I guess. <laughs> the name. They hold God's name in such high regards that they do not even speak it. They simply say Hashem, the name. My first question as we look in this, at this sermon today from Moses is, do you know this God? Do you know the one true God, the triune God? And that is where this journey begins. If this sermon progresses, this is point number one. God is God and I am not. And until you realize that, we don't move on to the next step. But we're going to move on to the next step. So when Moses is filled in a land full of ites, they're going to face the Canaanites and the, you know, all the ites. And their idol worship, the plethora of God's little g that they worshiped. It, he reminds the children of God that God alone is God. And that then he gives us a plan for how to pass that truth on from generation to generation. And that brings us to verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your heart. How do we want to know? The, the, how do we get the world to know our one true God? We love. It begins with loving him. Moses doesn't give us a to-do a to list or even the Ten Commandments. It's not about doing here. It's about being being in love with the Lord our God, loving him with our entire being. We see Jesus um, sharing this with the great, um, when he is pressed with the great commandment in Matthew 22, right? We love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, with our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. So how? How do we learn to love God? Well, how do you learn to love anyone? You spend time with them. You choose to learn them. You learn their likes and dislikes, their personality, their character. You make them a priority. So how do you fall in love with God? You spend time with him. In his word, in prayer, you're intentional. In your worship, in your praise, maybe you're, you choose to be still with him or walk in nature with him or meditate. I love this quote by Matt Chandler. How do, we, how do we do this life with God? You find the things that stir your affections for Christ. What stirs your affections for Christ? And you saturate your life in them. Find the things that rob you of that affection and walk away from them. That's the Christian life as easy as I can explain it to you. What stirs your affection for Christ? Do that. You know he is God and you are not. He is the one true God. The next step is choosing to love him. 
to follow him, to spend time with him with every ounce of your being. Because of God's great love, it then drives us and motivates the direction of our lives. It's far greater than just a list of rules when we know this awesome love of God. And in cultivating a heart that loves God, this next progressive step in these verses come naturally. Look in verse 7. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. If we are, going, if we are growing and fueling a love for God, we're going to naturally extend this love to others, including modeling this for our children and for the next generations. Moms, dads, if you are looking for a discipleship plan for your children, here it is. This is most sermons on Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 are parenting sermons. So I encourage you to Google it. It's great if you're a parent. But I think any adult, any student, whatever age, if you are a believer in Christ, if you are looking for a way of how to encourage someone in your faith, God gives us a plan right here in Deuteronomy. And it is not a have-to kind of checklist. He makes it simple for us. And I like to call it the as-you-go plan. Look at verse 7. As you sit at home, do you do that? I do that. I sit at home. As you walk along the road, well, I don't walk as much as I should along the road, but I sure drive a ton. Everyone drives a ton if you live in Nashville. Do you go to bed at night? And I sure hope you wake up, right? The question is, as you look at this verse, as you live your life, as you go, who are you doing this life with? Is it your children? Mom and dad, yes. Maybe it's nieces or nephews or grandchildren or roommates or a spouse or a student or a young professional that needs to come alongside of you and walk this journey with you. I do my life most with my husband, Kyle, and we have two children. Ava is 11 and Jacob is 14. And for us, car time is often the very best as-you-go time for us. In the car, I have my kids held hostage, and I work really hard to ask them questions that can't be answered with a, uh-huh, or fine. It is in the car, and usually in the dreaded carpool lane. Can I get an amen, Katie, Jane? Where are you? Woo! It is in the carpool lane that we read scripture together and we pray over our day. It is in the car that I hear about the drama of life as a teenage girl. And Jacob gets to share with me all about the latest Marvel movies that I don't remember or understand. <laughs> I sleep through Marvel movies. My family makes fun of me. And it is during these times that my husband and I often get to bring in truths into these conversations. And we make this story a part of God's story. You know, um, Ava Lauren is getting ready to graduate from fifth grade and headed to middle school. 
And a lot of her conversations are conversations where people are ranked. Like this group is here, and I'm here, but at least I'm not here. You know what I mean? As you kind of tread the waters of the teenage years. And I get to talk to her. She's probably tired of me talking about it. Is that, no, there's this group, and there's this group, and there's this group. And there's no hierarchy. God made you all the same. You're just different. You're created different for his purposes and plans for you. And you are going to be just fine. Just be thankful you have friends. You know, and so we go on. And then I often get, oh, mom, you have to say that. You're my mom, you know? And that is when I'm especially thankful for people God has brought into our lives to help support the things that we're teaching at home. Um, we have a picture of my bonus daughter, Shauna. You may know Shauna Greer. Woo-woo, I think she's upstairs teaching this morning in the nursery. But God brought her into our lives five years ago when she was a Vanderbilt College student. And she has um, become a part of our family. She has a family in Texas, so I like to call her my bonus daughter, but I would call her my real daughter if, if they would let me. Um, <laughs> but um, this was taken four years ago, our first Mother's Day together. But what is cool about Shauna is I like to think I pour into her life. I like to think Kyle and I have helped her on her path with God. But the best thing about Shauna, I'm going to cry, she pours into my kids. I love her so much. Sorry. And um, she is able to preach messages into their lives that they would never hear or receive from me. And um, let's face it, she is far more cool or woke than I will ever be. (laughs) And the same is true about Tim and Becca and AP and Matthew and Bob and all the student leaders that pour into our kids, into my kid Jacob. They get him on a different level that I don't see because I'm his mom. And I'm just so thankful that God has brought them into our lives to walk this path with them. I was not expecting to cry over that. Maybe later, but not over that. Anyway. I'm grateful for you. I'm grateful for the gift of the church. I'm grateful. I hope I get to pour life into you as we walk on this journey. And I hope that you have people alongside you that you get to pour on you. Because this is the Christian life. There is someone always farther ahead of you. But there is always someone farther behind you. And we get to walk and encourage and pour into each other together. So as you know the one true God, and as you fall in love with him, it is a natural outpouring that as you go, you get to share these truths with the next generation and the next generation and those God brings alongside of you. So this is what we're talking about in the car. (laughs) We do our job with excellence, and this is why we have the hope to share. Oh, I missed a verse. Sorry, verse 8. Here we go. I like what he says in verse 8. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads, which the first century Pharisees and many Orthodox Jews even today actually take this scripture, the Shema, and they write it on tiny scrolls and roll them up and put them in black little leather boxes and they tie them 
on their foreheads and on their hands. And it's called a telphalin or a phylactery. You might have heard that, those terms before. But I believe that the point is not to be taken so literally, but it is to love the Lord our God with all our hearts, with all our soul, with all of our strength. That right there is to become the lens by which we view our world and the motivation for everything we do. This is why we're going to talk about these things in the car. This is why we do our job with excellence as working for the Lord. This is why we have hope to share. When our coworker comes to us in pain, we have a lens of truth to see our world through. And in these relationships, one day at a time, over a long period of time, God shows up and does something really cool. We will fail. We won't always do this perfectly. But praise God, he does not call us to perfection. He calls us to love him. He sent his, G- his son Jesus because he knew we couldn't do this perfectly. So when you mess up, when you miss the mark, you find grace, you get up, and again, once again, you start to love. Verse 9, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And here is where we continue to see this cascading effect. We love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. We talk about him the best we can with what we have, where we are, with the people we get to do life with. We filter our worldview and what we do through the lens of his truths. And then that light gets to shine out into our community as our home becomes a light in a dark world. As the world then enters your home, as they walk through your gates, there is evidence that the one true God is there. And this love and life is then passed down from generation to generation. I have a picture of my parents. This picture was actually taken when they very first became grandparents. That's my nephew. That's my mom, Joyce, Joyce Varden, and my dad, Gary Varden. And um, they have lived in heaven now for 12 years, but I was blessed to have really great parents. Did I say today? today's my dad's birthday? Today's my dad's birthday, too. Um, and whether they knew what they were doing it or not, that they were doing it or not, my imperfect parents lived out Deuteronomy 6 pretty perfectly right before my eyes. They knew the one true God, and they revered his name. The only time, my parents went to the movies once a week, every Tuesday night. My dad got off early on Tuesday nights. They went to the movies early. I mean, they went to the movies about once a week. And the only time I have ever seen my dad walk out of a movie is when they used God's name in vain. He could take a lot of stuff, but he could not take the use of God's name or his son Jesus' name in vain. And I knew that in my home. It was important from the very beginning. There was two things we could not say. We could not say God's name in vain, and we could not sass my mother. And I would just say those are two great rules for your home. But um, they loved God and made it very evident. My parents did not start following Jesus until after they got married. So really, as I grew up, In my faith, they were growing up right in front of me in their faith. And I got to see 
my parents fall in love with Jesus. They loved God with all their heart, soul, and strength. They did the things that stirred their affection for Christ, as Matt Chandler would say. My dad was a car salesman, and so he worked a lot of hours. But there were two days he got off two days a week, and he made sure those two days were Wednesday and Sunday. Why? Because my dad loved church. He loved the people of God. He loved more than anything singing bass in the choir, and he loved on Wednesday nights, he loved getting to tell RAs about Jesus. That was my dad. My mom loved to sing. She beamed Shekinah glory when she sang. Her smile, she just radiated. And then she loved to go for walks. She would walk around the neighborhood, and that is when she prayed. That's when she felt close to Jesus outside in nature. They were very much as-you-go parents. We never had a set family Devo time. I really don't remember once our family saying, let's sit down and have a devotion together. I don't remember ever in our house reading scripture together unless it was maybe Christmas. It wasn't what we did. But as questions came up about God or friends or even sex, they were quick to interject God's truth into the conversation. They stopped and had conversation with me, real conversations. They didn't sugarcoat it. They told me God's truth and his plan for my life. And they were always, I remember once I was learning how to drive and I was not paying attention to my words and I said a word I should not have said in front of my dad. And he did not get angry. He said, Shannon, do you know what that word means? And I said no because I didn't want to get in trouble. And my dad sat there and explained to me, I can't even say the word, what this horrible word meant because he wanted me to know the truth. I want to encourage you, as you go, have real conversations with people. And this wasn't just with my brother and me. My parents walked alongside so many people and poured love and truth into them. The, um, the crossing guard for our local school and their waitress at Bob Evans came to their funeral my mom poured into the crossing guard. I had no idea. And they're, they're, um, they always asked for the same waitress at Bob, uh, Bob Evans. Her name was Shannon. And she loved my parents. She was their waitress. They knew the one true God. They revered his name. They loved him as best as they could, the best that they knew how. They lived their life and they impressed these truths onto me and others in our church. And our home became a light in our community. He was a salesman. My mom was a secretary. They did not know scripture like, I, you know, like we probably do. But they knew they needed to love God. Our back door was always open. 
friends could pop in and sit down at the kitchen table and talk to my mom about anything. When friends' marriages were in trouble, they came and talked to my parents. When a young couple at church were having challenges parenting, they came and talked to my parents. Even my friends loved coming to see my parents because my dad gave the best dad hugs. And my friends loved this because their dads didn't give the best dad hugs. And my mom would make grilled cheese and sit down with us with a glass of sweet tea at the kitchen table. And she would talk about anything. Nowhere in our house or on our gate or even any artwork inside my parents' house was there one scripture. But every neighbor could see the light of God beaming from my parents' house. And you know what? It worked. I saw my parents fall in love with Jesus. And now I love him with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength. And now I pray that I get to do this in front of my kids that they get to see my love story with the Most High God. And it is my greatest prayer that this has been passed on from generation to generation as we go. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this sermon by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy and the power and impact that it has had for generation upon generation. God, I thank you that the Most High God, the God of the universe, saw fit to create us and to give us his son that we could have relationship with him. Thank you that you give us the choice to love you and to be loved by you. God, I pray that as we soak in this love, as we spend time with you, God, that we would make that a priority. Our world is so loud and so busy. Help us to make that a priority. But as we know this love, that we would be quick to share it with, with those we get to do life with, God. God, I pray that as we do, that your name would be glorified. And more and more children and dads and moms and single adults and grandparents would come to know you as Lord. And that this would be passed on. Oh, God, use us to change generations upon generations. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Fellowship on Broadway is a worship service at First Baptist Church in downtown Nashville, and we'd love for you to join us on Sundays.